When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the one thing all great teams have in common? Great coaching. Try to suck up to me, Andrew. Hey, Goldberg! I better that talk was a team, brother. You stop it. No, I agree. I would not be an acid physically. I have more of a podcast body. It's the Quack Attack Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is more crowded than a truckload of goats. I'm Tommy. That's Mike. Hello. And that's Kevin. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Quack Attack Podcast, the definitive Mighty Ducks podcast. And we're back, and we're in the midst of some might call a, a Mighty Ducks renaissance. And so we have a very special guest today. Um, and it's Harmony Colangelo, a writer, podcaster, noted heavyweights fanatic, and a Mighty Ducks slanderer. Harmony, <laughs> welcome. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> And so uh, regular listeners will know that Mike usually runs a show while, you know, me and Kevin were just passengers along for the ride. And but this week is different because I actually was a little bit proactive and found a guest for once. And so probably like a lot of our listeners, um, I like to listen to a lot of movie podcasts um, while you're driving, going to work, whatever, working out. Um, and I like to, uh, I just found one recently called Why Our Dads, hosted by Sarah Marshall and Alex Steed. In the podcast, they attempt to understand what it means to be grown children of dads and other dad-like figures. Some of the episodes I've listened to include Lord of the Rings, The Wrestler, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and an episode on Silence of the Lambs, which is how I discovered our new friend Harmony, who is a featured guest on that podcast. And so Harmony is also a podcaster. There's lots of movie podcasts. Um, Some are even as good as this one. Um, And so (laughs) Harmony co-hosts a podcast called This Ends at Prom where she and her wife, I guess you guys analyze maybe stereotypical, what you might call a teen girl movie, coming of age movies. Is that accurate, Harmony? Yes, me and my wife, BJ, who actually is listening to Why Are Dads in the Other Room right now. No. <laughs> because canonically, we're like related, that podcast and I, even or that podcast and us, even though we have nothing to do with each other, but we're just really good friends right now. And This Ends of Prom is basically just about exploring teen girl films, from BJ's nostalgia and my um, lack thereof, I guess, because I am transgender, so I grew up in more of a Mighty Ducks world than, say, a um, Mary-Kate and Ashley type world. Mm -hmm. And it's really just her revisiting these movies that she loved a lot growing up and even into her teens that, you know, maybe some of them haven't aged super duper well and just seeing how the teen experience has evolved usually throughout the 80s up until now. Excellent. Yeah, they've got all kinds of movies on there. Runs the gamut from like a Troop Beverly Hills from the late 80s, 10 Things I Hate About You, Juno, and a lot of Mary Kate and Ashley. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I was listening to uh, the It Takes Two episode and I've actually seen that movie about 10 times. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to my older sister, but I enjoyed it too when I was in my early days. Um, so there's really <laughs> something for everyone. Um, so a lot of uh, like a lot of nostalgia there. And I think a lot of times when we look back at these movies, as our listeners will know, we kind of think, okay, was this actually a good movie? Or do we just like it because we liked where we were in our life at that standpoint? 
And so a really cool thing that Harmony and BJ do is they have a, a Sadie Hawkins episodes where they essentially flip the script where Harmony will introduce BJ to episodes that might be stereotypically like a boy movie, like Billy Madison, Max Keeble's Big Move, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. Is that right, Harmony? Yes. Now, a lot of these movies BJ has seen, but she hasn't necessarily seen them in a long time or definitely not as many times as I did growing up. Excellent. And so Harmony's experience or uh, her appearance on Wire Dads, um, she was describing her podcasting and she mentioned Sadie Hawkins. And here's a, a direct quote that kind of, you know, piqued my interest. <laughs> and so here's what she said in, re in reference to um, the Sadie Hawkins episode. And so, hey, we're going to talk about the Mighty Ducks and how everything you love about the Mighty Ducks is actually Mighty Ducks 2 because Mighty Ducks 1 kind of sucks. It's kind of a legit quote unquote sports drama. And so obviously I almost crashed my car and, you know, had to pull over and, you know, call my wife and hyperventilate. Um, and so before we really go into this, um, this take, um, you know, Harmony, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into to podcasting and, you know, what's your journey to how you got here? Uh, originally, our podcast, This Ends at Prom, was pitched as a, a recurring column during the start of the pandemic where um, we were watching a lot of like nostalgic movies and BJ had shown me 10 things I hate about you and was like, oh my God, I love this movie. It's like super like pro women and all these things. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just tearing into it because I hate it. I'd never seen it before. And I'm like, I don't know what you're getting out of this, but everyone always talks about how this is one of their favorite movies. And I don't understand why there's so many things wrong with it. And uh, it basically like, shattered her worldview and we were going to do a, a column about it because we're both writers especially her more so than me because she's been doing it since she was 18 professionally but the during the pandemic a lot of freelance writing money dried up very quickly so then we just decided to learn, launch a podcast excellent yeah 10 things i hate about you is actually a movie i remember very fondly what's your I guess, what's something that you think we need to think about when we're thinking about 10 Things I Hate About You? 10 Things I Hate About You is really difficult because it's an adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew by Shakespeare. So it's a very classic story. It's not the first time the story's even been done. But what one of the things that sits the worst with me is that your main character is essentially everything that makes her shrill is the feminist or queer coded aspects of her that make her undesirable, that make her frustrating and unpleasant. And it's trying so much to be this not like other girls, quote unquote, type film that it actually like shoots itself in the foot in hindsight. Mike and Kevin, have you guys seen that movie? I have. Well, it's, been a, it's been a very long time, but uh, I, I also remember watching it and, and liking it generally, or at least looking back, I remember, I would think of it as I liked it now. Maybe I didn't like it when I was younger, but um, I kind of remember it being a good movie, but uh, it's been a long time, for sure. remember my sister also very much loved that movie and very much related to Cat. And one, one of my big takeaways from that movie was uh, Heath Ledger, when he's like trying to figure out what the main character Cat likes, they're like, you know, if they find concert tickets, whatever, it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to like, you know, go to this, uh, this show where a bunch of chicks don't know how to play their instruments. I was like, oh, that's a funny line, you know, me as a, you know, nine-year-old, whatever. But yeah, looking back, I guess it's, uh, some of this stuff is a bit problematic. 
but a great performance by Alison Janney. So I think it's oh, all right. Of course. She's the best thing about every movie that <laughs> yeah. she's ever in. <laughs> and so here we are. We've arrived at Mighty Ducks. And so Harmony and BJ did do their episode on Mighty Ducks, um, which I did listen to, took some notes. And uh, I, uh, I'd like to say I agreed with some of the stuff, some of the stuff maybe less so. Mm. But Harmony, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the Mighty Ducks. And is this something that you saw when you were young or did you come and see it when you were a little bit older? I actually have recently had several epiphanies. So yes, I did watch the Mighty Ducks, specifically Mighty Ducks 2 growing up. We had them recorded on VHS because I guess we probably got them off the Disney Channel or something in reruns. And I'm having this weird epiphany where a lot of the things like Aladdin I, from Disney as well, I think about going like, oh yes, I loved Aladdin growing up. I owned all this Aladdin merch. But then I think that Aladdin came out like two years after I was born. And I had this merch in like 1998 when they weren't making it anymore. And I'm like, did I actually like Aladdin or did I just have a bunch of hand-me-down stuff? And I thought I liked Aladdin. I don't know anymore. And that's kind of how it is for the Mighty Ducks because I'm realizing, yes, I do like the Mighty Ducks specifically too. I had a great time revisiting too for the first time in a couple of years for this. And I, I don't remember if it was just a part of like the family or if, or what the situation was, but I, I, I'm, I'm really questioning where my, where my introduction was to it. Was I actively interested in it as a small child or was it just on all the time? And then I remember it and that familiarity makes it feel like I have nostalgia for it. I'm not sure. But then I watch Mighty Ducks 2 and everything comes flooding back and I have a great time. <laughs> One of the, I guess, more controversial, um, you know, topics we like to always talk about is the correct order of like, what is the best movie in one, two, and three? And we recently spoke with them, um, you know, Matt Doherty, who plays Averman in the series. And, and he likes to think of all three as, uh, you know, kind of one, you know, linear thing. And that's kind of Matt's personality. And he's, yeah. he's, he's, um, he's great to talk to about it. Um, but I think kind of the consensus for people who are in their late 20s, early 30s is that two is their favorite followed by one and that three was bad and Kevin of course is shaking his head because he thinks that he's the best and um, Mike and I I think we originally started saying like yes two was our favorite and I've started to come around to one being my favorite again and okay. I'm trying to think is that nostalgia because I owned one and three I never had two even though it was my favorite and so I remember you know what it was like just watching it on the VCR and everything um, and so do you, do you remember, were you like a two, one, three kind of person, or do you have even, um, you know, memories of three? We didn't own three. So I've only seen it maybe once or twice, just throughout the last three decades. But the thing that I think is so interesting is that we, at the bar I used to work at before I moved to LA a couple months ago, we had a Mighty Ducks party because it was one of the uh, anniversaries of, I think the first one or maybe the second one, it was like a 25 anniver year anniversary or something. And there was this collective feeling of everyone being like, yeah, Mighty Ducks, I'm so excited. And so we put the first movie on, then we put the second movie on, then we put the first movie on again, because by that point, everyone who was there for the first screening of it at the bar had left already. So we're not gonna just like have all these new people who just got here within like the last 30 minutes now be stuck in three because it's like this isn't going to make sense to you and I think collectively we can all agree there's the least nostalgia for that one the least uh, familiarity probably whether and that's no reflection of quality but 
there was definitely this air of everyone watching it and you see like Fulton just gear up and he's about to like crack the thing. It's like, oh, this is where the knuckle puck is. And it's not. And then they're looking at the jerseys and they go, oh yeah, well, I don't, I don't remember this like mallard green design. And I just watched throughout the night, probably two or three dozen, four dozen people all be really pumped for the first movie and then realize everything that they remember about the first movie is actually the second movie. Yeah, that can be a problem, especially because so many of the, the characters were introduced in the second one that all went over to three and then they drop mm -hmm. a lot of the characters from the first one. Um, you know, and there's it's knuckle puck time comes out in D2 and that's when we're introduced to Keenan Thompson, which everyone who everyone loves. And mm -hmm. you know, you've got uh, Luis Mendoza, who is, of course, um, Mike Vitar in the Sandlot. And so a lot of these characters that everyone, you know, remember and treasure weren't even in the first one. Um, I do want to hear a little bit more about this Mighty Ducks party. What, what other themed items did you guys do? Uh, we had themed cocktails. So they were, um, for example, I, like you ever go to like a fancy cocktail bar, which we certainly weren't. But if you go to a fancy one, you can get like your drink served over a puck, which is basically just the giant cube of ice. Mm. All of the drinks were served over that. They had a bunch of like themed names that just really tried to fit the uh, so the sort of vibe of the film. For example, the knuckle puck was the strongest drink on the menu as an example. <laughs> And would you be able to send us a list of, of these cocktails with their ingredients? Do, do you remember them that well? I don't remember them that well. And I can't exactly go to my bar and be like, hey, you want to give me your recipe? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if I could get them at this point. We'll, we'll, give, we'll give them a shout on the pod. <laughs> yeah. I'll look into it. I'll see if they want to send me them. <laughs> yeah, we'll work on a barter agreement. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think your basic point about, you know, everyone remembers D2 as like the great, that's the, the working theory is like everyone remembers D2. After watching D1 and recognizing, I guess, and I guess D2 too recently and recognizing, you know, D2 is basically a, a, the same story as D1, but there's just like Team US say, you know, Gordon Bombay's down low, he loses himself, <laughs> he finds himself, they come and they win. Did that change your opinion at all? That D2, you know, has sort of just rehashed D1 just in a bigger and better way. Yes, but here's the thing. Here's how I have described this pretty adamantly over the last like year or two, is that D1 is a very legit sports drama. It's a kid's movie that's not about children. It's about Bombay. Mm -hmm. Like the, he is the star. The children are almost like side characters to him in this family film. And that's fine. That's like Rocky one. D2 is like Rocky 2, 3, and especially 4. <laughs> and I can't say that it's a better film in, in big, big, big neon quotes, but I'd say it's a way more fun film for me because it's like if you watched Rocky 4 and then went back and watched Rocky 3, 2, and 1 in like reverse order, it's like, oh, all these are rehashes, especially Rocky 2. He's just fighting Apollo Creed again. Mm -hmm. But the drama is more intense than the first one. It's a it's a better structured film, but also it's got goofy, like almost professional wrestling style pro-America bullshit that I love about D2. Yeah, that's fair. The, the best part about, you know, Rocky Four, I guess two best parts, you've got uh, 
Um, Dolph Lundgren is, is Ivan Drago, who, you know, the only lines I remember him saying is, you know, I must break you or whatever. And then the absurd training sequence where the, the Russians get all this high-tech bullshit. And then the American Rockies just run through the woods, you know, lifting, you know, logs and stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I remember like loving that, you know, seeing that. And when I look back at Rocky One and the first time I saw it, I think I was a little bit older, I think maybe 14 or 15, and thinking, this isn't like the movie that I expected because I think mm-hmm. I was inundated, you know, with all of the 90s sports movies. You know, some were kids, some were a little bit older. And that's one thing you mentioned on your Sadie Hawkins podcast is that there's, you know, a glut of these 90s sports kids movies. And mm-hmm. I guess, you know, do you feel like Mighty Ducks kind of started that or do you think it kind of bridged the gap between Bad News Bears, then it's Mighty Ducks, and then we get into The Sandlot, The Big Green, you get into Little Big League, all of these kids' movies. See, I actually was trying to like unwind that. And yes, Bad News Bears is absolutely like the starting point of this type of like kids' sports movie. And I think that you got a lot more of them in the 90s because this was really the rise of like the latchkey kid generation on like a big way in America. This was also the era of the um, sort of neglectful dad type character where you would see it a lot in like Tim Allen in Jungle the Jungle or Jim Carrey in Liar Liar where, or, or, or Arnold Schwarzenegger in Jingle All the Way where it's just like a dad who's just doing something else. Like he's busy with work, he's busy with something and he's neglecting his child. So I think the Mighty Ducks works really well because it's also, you know, kids getting into like kids stuff, especially when they're like, you know, running around a mall or just getting into hijinks in the second one. But it also fills this need for seeing, um, like there's a lot of really good studies that exist out there that highlight that if a child has a non-familial, adult figure in their life, then their quality of life improves like drastically. And I think Coach Bombay being like a good but flawed father figure is why this movie works really well. And I think that a lot of other films don't really focus on that aspect. Like in Rookie of the Year, you'll have like mustached Gary Busey as a father figure. And that doesn't really work quite as well. (laughs) Or you have something like uh, the the Sandlot where you have um, whatever whatever the old man's name is in that movie I can't remember his character name but he feels like a grandparent role but you also have a neglectful dad in that movie and I think the Mighty Ducks is just this really good towing the line between all of these places that the 90s kids sports movie was trying to come from I, I feel like we got, first of all, I want to file a, uh, a complaint that we totally just wiped Rocky Five and Tommy Gunn off the map. Um, so <laughs> let's not forget about Tommy Gunn and Rocky Five, okay? Um, Everyone's favorite Rocky movie, Rocky Five. <laughs> um, but I feel like kind of to your point, like a lot of, they weren't necessarily kids movies, but they were sports movies that came after the Mighty Ducks, like when we were, uh, at least the three of us, when, when we were in our teens. Um, the, like the Friday Night Lights and the, the Coach Carter, I remember being one of, they kind of had that same trope where it was like, mm-hmm. you know, they either didn't have a father figure or they had the absent, like, you know, aloof father figure. And then the coaches mm-hmm. kind of filled that role for them. And so I, I do kind of like that, like being like a, an inflection point for like sports movies in general, kind of filling mm-hmm. that role. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. There's a, 
there's definitely some kind of Venn diagram with why our dads right now that's that's creeping in just a little bit. And uh, I know one of the sports movies they did, and I'll consider a sports movie is The Wrestler, which is a mm-hmm. fantastic movie. Um, and there's a lot of like absentee father and also, you know, kind of father figure in that. And I guess, gosh, any sports movies that you guys can think of um, that might not even kind of approach that. And one that I'm thinking of is uh, A League of Their Own, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of in a different category. And that's probably on my Mount Rushmore of sports movies. I guess, is there a, a sports movie that, um, in maybe not necessarily kids or, or necessarily geared toward teens, that you guys can think of that, you know, kind of ignores that and, and does its own thing for like the better? I don't know. <laughs> Like, do you always have to have like a, a coach who's like a hard ass, but with like a heart of gold or something like that, like a coach Carter or remember the Titans where you kind of have like two coaches of different philosophies and, and even in miracle where you've got the ultimate hard ass coach, um, you know, and her Brooks. Um, I mean, of course that's, you know, an amazing sports tale, the movie I've never been like, I was like, oh, okay, it's okay. But I, you know, I think because that's, you know, I like I love the documentary, and I also love the actual event. That it's hard for me to love Miracle as much. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this would necessarily fit the category, but I, A League of Their Own is definitely not like teens; they're like more adults. I, one of my favorite movies in the universe is uh, Shaolin Soccer. So, yeah. so I mean, that kind of fits the, the the qualifier because, but these are like full grown adults in this case. Like they're certainly in their twenties for this film. Do we think? like the mighty duck started this whole you know flawed figure or or was there as someone who knows much more about pop culture than me probably is there is there a movie that they sort of borrowed from obviously bad news bears but before then or did that sort of bring in that sort of 90s sports era See, I'm try- I sort of try to figure that out because as far as I can tell bad news bears accidentally was the blueprint for this sort of thing I'm sure there's other examples, but this is certainly like the first large scale one. Like that got two sequels and a show and Bad News Bears in Japan's really bad, but those first two movies are, are pretty legit. And I think the Walter Matthau character in that actually works really well because similar to how Bombay is towards the beginning of the movie, like this is a children's movie where he is a scummy lawyer and then gets a DUI in like the first five minutes of the film. And then his redemption is, I guess, not falling into the Walter Matthau drunken type role that Billy Bob Thornton would then try to replicate in the 2000s. So I'm sure there's other ones, but like that feels like the very direct inspiration, especially because you develop a lot of tropes like the the one girl in the, the team of, of, of all boys that you would see even something like Ladybugs as an example with Rodney Dangerfield. Like there's always the one, the one girl who can hang with the boys because she's that tough and that cool. And Mighty Ducks has two, has two of them. <laughs> yeah, I liked in uh, in your episode, um, you describe, you know, Connie is her defining trait is he, she's the girl. And then when Tammy joins the team and Tammy is a figure skater, uh, Connie's trait is she's the other girl. And it's not until we get into D2 where, um, you know, Julie the Cat is this amazing player that you kind of have more of a trait than just, you know, having different chromosomes. Mm-hmm. I I love Julie. I I was watching this with my wife a couple days ago, just to like refresh my memory because I haven't seen this probably in at least a year or two. But we was refreshing my memory for this, and the whole time I just kept looking over because she used to play like pee wee hockey, and she was the girl on the team. 
And she was, and I just kept looking at her and going, yeah, that's you, you're Julie, right? And she goes, oh yeah, absolutely. I would beat up the boys and they would be afraid to hit me back. It was great. <laughs> in, um, so jumping ahead just a little bit, there is a new show, of course, Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which uh, we like to take maybe like 1% of the credit in that happening. Um, <laughs> are you familiar with it? Have you watched any of it? I haven't. I'm actually like a terrible TV person because I have a hard time starting shows and then committing to them. I have at least a dozen shows where I watched three episodes and went, this is really good, and then forgot about it. <laughs> what, what's your opinion on some of the um, the reboots or the, the sequels that have kind of come out over the last five years? Obviously, we've had like a Fuller House, we've had Cobra Kai. Um, is that something that you've tracked, and do you have an overall opinion on some of these? I think that a sequel or a reboot is good if there's a reason for it to exist. I, a metric that we use on this end of prom a lot is whether or not a film is perfect in the sense that would you want to change anything about it? Not necessarily is it like the Citizen Kane Paddington 2 conversation of best film ever. Perfect doesn't mean best, but do you want to change anything about the film? And I think that there's a lot of movies that don't need to be remade because there's nothing really you can improve on them. Or at the same time, there's a lot of things that could be updated. There's a take on the story that can sort of be twisted. Like when they remade The Karate Kid, which sort of similarly, they do different things with the new Cobra Kai from what I understand, where it's a sequel series, but we're doing something interesting now. I guess Ralph Macchio is the bad guy in that one, right? Yeah. That's interesting though. Like, hey, we're not just like rehashing this. We're actually like, paying respect to the source material and building off of it in like a really cool, interesting direction. And apparently it's fantastic. Plus I really loved that Netflix scooped it up because then Netflix started getting all these old martial arts films, which are like my bread and butter. And now everywhere else is following suit. So they're just popping up on Prime and Hulu and Netflix and Tubi. And I'm having like a smorgasbord of awesome martial arts movies to pick back up. So there's obviously like a huge nostalgia factor and, you know, us being millennials, we, you know, of course we were around when, you know, AOL started and then um, we're late high school, college when, you know, internet is essentially begin, it starts to look like what it is today where, you know, you've got YouTube and then you've got streaming, you know, I remember Netflix, you know, was of course just, we would get on the four a month plan for one month and burn as many DVDs as we could. And, you know, <laughs> now I've got a huge stack of burned DVDs that I haven't touched in years. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I worked at Blockbuster too. So you can imagine how my, uh, my collection uh, is. This is all hypothetical, uh -huh. of course. You basically put Blockbuster out of business. <laughs> yeah, Exa exactly. Um, <laughs> and so be because there's essentially, there's access to every piece of, you know, art there is now, including TV shows. Um, do you think that, you know, is nostalgia in, in like kind of going back and rewatching these, these things, is that good for, for us? Cause you can see like, oh, I loved how I felt, or is it having an opposite effect where it's like, oh damn, this actually sucked. Why did I like this? And there is actually some jokes in here that are, you know, really have not aged well. And is that something, and I know you, you guys probably talk about this on, on your podcast and yeah. how do you feel about nostalgia for millennials and should we be going back and looking at all this this old art basically so there's actually a few things about that uh one not everything's available on streaming and we were really frustrated when we found out that spice world is not streaming anywhere because we really wanted to do it for our musical month <laughs> this month 
But aside from that, I think it could go either way. Uh, we like to refer to it as loving a film critically, which is like, okay, cool. I'm not blinded by nostalgia. I don't have like rose colored glasses, but I can acknowledge the things that are wrong with this whilst also appreciating it. For example, I, in Mighty Ducks 2, I'm not wild about the tie-dye colored uh, Trinidadian hockey team that is clearly a cool, uh, like a vague Cool Runnings reference. And um, Cool Runnings itself is a movie that I love, but is also um, difficult. Once you know like the actual history of that bobsledding team, no matter how adorable John Candy is and everything. So I think it could go either way, but it's really just a matter of appreciating it for what it was at the time you saw it, but also acknowledging it now that you're an adult and really just processing it properly. For the, uh, the Trinidad team, I think, I'm trying to think who told us originally, but there was a part in the script where what they did is they, uh, they cut a coconut in half and we're gonna drink out of that instead of, I guess, having like water. And mm -hmm. like the one of maybe four black people on set was like, no, you're not gonna do that. Yeah, that, that's really bad, especially because I actually love, um, I love the way this movie actually handles a topic that is not expounded upon very much. And it's that the first movie is like, okay, cool. It's all of these scrappy kids from poor neighborhoods who don't even have a proper rink to practice on. They're just on like a lake. I like that. However, now you bring in the, um, the Kenan Thompson crew of hockey players. And it's like, ah, yes, this is like a, a bring it on style story where they are just as good, if not a little bit better than the US hockey team, but because they're inner city kids, they aren't allowed that opportunity. And you know, then Keenan Thompson does get his opportunity in the film by replacing Charlie. And I wish there was a little more of that, but that might be um, a, a heavy topic for a children's movie like this to be covering. But like even something like that is like really refreshing to see, even, even just touched on a little bit. Because that's almost like the Rocky Four moment of the evil Icelandic team is this super, uh, almost state-of-the-art Ivan Drago training facility with their ominous black outfits and their slicked hair. And then they're going to take it to like this really roots of like street hockey. We're taking this back to the basics of how hockey is like when you don't have money, remember your roots, which is kind of what Bombay is also doing. So it parallels it really well. It's a full package that I just really love about Mighty Ducks too. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there could be some sort of spinoff. I feel like we need like a street hockey, South Central Los Angeles, something where we go deeper on that. But uh, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Trinidad, it was the Trinidad coach, Tommy, who who we had on. Uh, but yeah, it is interesting watching that Trinidad scene because I remember loving it as a kid. And now I'm like, this is kind of racist. So like, I don't mm -hmm. know how to like... Uh, rectify those two feelings when you know when I was a little kid like oh I always look forward to that scene and now it's like I I probably shouldn't look forward to that scene now so uh a lot to think about when you get older and times change it's just uh it's a different part of our lives I guess mm -hmm. you know I've always thought like maybe 10 15 years ago it's like oh it'd be cool to have like a Trinidad like hockey sweater and, you know you wear it around once a month and maybe one person's like oh I get that reference and now you would be like terrified it even ever had that thought that you'd want mm -hmm. to wear that around um but yeah this has definitely been one of the um more introspective episodes we've had and so I hope our listeners are appreciating it um one thing we haven't touched on yet and I, I tease this at the beginning is saying that you know Harmony is a heavyweights fanatic 
And of course, uh, Heavyweights, we, we've mentioned on our podcast before, how could we not? Because it's directed by Steve Brill. And of course, it's got Aaron Schwartz, uh, who of course is Carpet Mighty Ducks. And we've got Sean Weiss, who's Goldberg. And you've got, you know, Keenan Thompson again, you know, who are all the fat kids. And, you know, it's just a great movie. And I also had that um, taped off of Disney along with like two other movies whenever they mm-hmm. would run movies without commercials. It was amazing. Um, but Harmony, tell us about your relationship with Heavyweights. Oh, this movie that is in a large poster behind me? That, yes. That is, that is glorious. A glorious. Thank you. Poster. Oh, God, it's so good. It usually lives over there, but I had to bring it into frame. It had to be like a special guest for my screen, for viewer, viewer only. It's not good for an audio medium, but it's here. Uh, I love Heavyweights. It is probably like the children's or family film that I watched the most growing up. And we had it recorded off of the TV. And so I went through probably the first 20 something years of my life thinking that movie was called Fat Camp because that's what we called it because we started recording it after the title card had ran. So we did not know it was called Heavyweights until I was like 22 years old and it popped up on Netflix and went, what this, that's what this is called? <laughs> and uh, it blew my mind. But I, I think Heavyweights is fantastic. I, as a former fat kid growing up who uh, was very much the Goldberg type, the... Um, the lovable clumsy kid who just 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 could not quite get a get a get a handle on how to move and stuff like I, I also farted and was an embarrassment I, I I feel that and that's really exemplified in heavyweights in a lot of ways so we talked about reboots you know and is there anything you want to change or build on how would you feel about a heavyweights reboot yay or nay see the really fun thing about that and it it's an idea that like I'm fantasy booking because why not? I just like to just play God in like the world of cinema of like, what would I do if I had all of the resources and pieces to move around? I want a reboot of Heavyweights or a remake of Heavyweights, whichever one, but I want it to be about girls this time. And I want Lizzo to fill the Pat character. Ooh, ooh, that I would think, be good. Uh, yeah, I so think that- you're, you're onto something there. Um, <laughs> interesting about pat finley um he's like the one actor who i'm like he he's really not and he's not like a leading guy in, in anything else that's super mainstream mm-hmm. but he has very small roles in a couple of things um mm-hmm. and i think um in the silence of the lambs episode of why our dads you guys mentioned the birdcage right yes and of course he's in the birdcage as one of like the you know paparazzi guys mm-hmm. and those are like the two roles that I think of him in. I think he might be in Zodiac for like a hot minute, but I remember seeing heavyweights as a kid. I mean, like this guy's amazing. And you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's um, a very wholesome character. And so I guess if you were to, to reboot it with Lizzo, you'd have to have Pat Finley in there somewhere as maybe he sells the camp in like the Jerry Stiller role or something. Oh, that'd be tight. I would be okay with that. Like just really bring it all full circle. Cause Pat is so nice. Again, he feels like the, um, father figure type role of stuff because I think it's what's Jeffrey Tambor is his dad in this movie and he's a jerk mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Tambor is also a jerk in real life so like that's fine but I uh, I, I really love Pat and I just I, I think this cast is really really good and this movie is surprisingly aged very very well because when it popped up on Netflix for the first time I'd seen it in you know 15 years whenever I would have revisited it I was like, oh no, this movie's gonna be really fat phobic. It's gonna kind of have a, um, like a Josh Peck 
syndrome where it's like, oh yeah, he's going to be really off. It's going to be like Josh Peck and Max Keeble or Snow Day where they're just going to insert fart noises over him the whole time. And they're just going to, he's going to be running around with his pants down and it's just going to be totally picking on little chubby kids and it's going to hurt my heart. And then it didn't. And it's super like affirming and really empowering. And Ben Stiller is such an underrated over the top villain that I think that he pulled from when he did dodgeball later. And just heavyweights is so great. And I love it so much. Is that like, so one thing Emilio Estevez said about Mighty Ducks um, and then kind of the, one of the reasons to do Game Changers was, I'm sure he obviously got paid as well, but he likened it to comfort food. Um, mm -hmm. Is is heavyweights? Is that your comfort food? Do you still get like you know the the butterflies, the, the the warm fuzzies when you watch it? Oh, absolutely! Like all of these moments feel. I, I can sit down and quote all of my favorite lines from the movie as they're happening. I get the same sort of a uh, exhilaration of a boat propeller powered go kart flying over a kid's head and then somehow not cutting his face off. I just, all of the little things make me so happy about this movie. And I love that it's just a wide range of characters who all have their own unique skills, kind of like Mighty Ducks 2. And it just, it, it feels great. It's, I absolutely get like a high watching this movie as nostalgia and appreciation for how well it's aged. I, I, I know that I absolutely wanted a blob uh, somehow in my backyard <laughs> or, or, you know, figured, <laughs> figured it out somehow or just go, to go to a camp with a blob. Oh yeah. It's so dramatic when they kill it. It's really upsetting. <laughs> um, all right, we're, we're running out of time. Um, um, Mike, did you have any, uh, Mike and Kevin, you guys have any other thoughts for, for Harmony or you want to get her, her wisdom on something? Uh, I think we can go to the quiet question. I just got a real um, quick thing that I thought was interesting in your episode that you did. You brought up an interesting point about how um, the Mighty Ducks kind of sort of brought in this this participation trophy um generation do you want to spend like 15 seconds about <laughs> your thought it might have been your wife actually i don't, I don't remember but uh just uh, your thoughts on how this sort of uh brought in this whole idea about participation trophies and then obviously the boomers all hating them and whatnot yeah see here's the thing that i love about the concept of participation trophy is that the kids who got participation trophies didn't really ask for them. And it wasn't in, instilled, like we did not start this. It was people above us who started it. So now like people who are like 65 years old, 70 years old, who are complaining about how they had to work for things like your generation got participation awards. It's like, we didn't ask for participation awards. Some like the generation above us gave those to us. We didn't want them necessarily. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I've, I'm sure I have a million things I could say about it, but there's my, my quick 15 second part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I never really thought about it that way. That's, that's fascinating. Well, yeah, I think because, yeah, you have these movies where it's like, oh, sports are fun. Uh, mm -hmm. But like when, yeah, when we were kids, we knew what the good trophies were and what they weren't. And the mm -hmm. other trophies were for the parents to say, oh, my kid got a trophy. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was just interesting to connect it to this whole sort of theme about sports as fun and like not have more fun as Bombay's yelling while the Hawks are yelling win, win, win. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's an interesting point we have not really touched on uh, that the Mighty Ducks brought to the forefront. Oh, yeah, because that, that's the whole point of Bombay's character, right? He just wants to, he for, keeps forgetting that he's supposed to have fun because he had it instilled in him at a young age that sports aren't about fun. 
because the guy who plays the lawyer and my cousin Vinny is a bad, evil coach. <laughs> yeah, well, he used to be a, a bad lawyer, and then he just wanted to be uh, go work for the DA's office. So he's a, he's a good guy, that lawyer. He, uh, he wants to put bad guys behind jail or in behind bars. Uh, my cousin Vinny, we could probably talk a lot about um, a lot of uh, a lot of connections here. My cousin Vinny with Marissa Tomei back to mm-hmm. the wrestler, and a lot of uh, six degrees of separation going on in this episode. Um, as we as we wrap up, um, we do something called the Quack Question, where we ask our uh, our loyal followers, we dub Quackalites, for questions about the uh, the trilogy. A lot of times for guests, a lot of times um, just for our weird speculative fiction. And so, and Kevin normally finds those. So, uh, Kevin, did you have a Quack Question that we'd like to ask Harmony to, to possibly uh, answer? Uh, sure. Um, it's a D3 related question, so it might not be directly in your real house, but it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty easy one. Um, so there's a scene in D3 where, uh, they all have, uh, I, I, they go in and they freeze all of the varsity's jerseys with, um, liquid nitrogen and, uh, and up on the, up on the ceiling, there's, uh, written in shaving cream, I guess it says varsity sucks ice. Um, and, so the question is from Cake Eater ninety two on Discord, I believe. Um, if this wasn't a Disney documentary, what would this say? And I'll, I'll hold it up to the screen if you can see it. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, it would probably say "dick." I would imagine. <laughs> so any any fancy word for "dick," like that's that's I'm imagining where they would go with it because it's the '90s and that was all the rage, right? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Just a simple change, which makes it much more uh, mean, I guess. I, yeah, I was thinking like, like fuck you, varsity, or something like that. But I, I kind of liked just varsity sucks dick exclamation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I feel like um, Connie and Julie might say like, you know, why is that funny? Um, and maybe they would push against that and maybe try to find a better insult. But I think all the best insults would have to be about them being like really shitty, and you lost your mm-hmm. JV team to us, a bunch of you know inner city kids or whatever. Um, but that's not something you could really write with one can of shaving cream on the wall. Um, <laughs> you have to get at least two. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it has to be, you know, dick related or something like that. Um, you know, and it's essentially if you're a, a teen boy, like what's the one thing you don't want to be called? It's gay in some way. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess maybe that would get to him the most. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, I think I'm with Harmony's answer as well. Yep. <laughs> I think we solved that one, boys. Boys in <laughs> harmony. Good work. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we are we are uh, coming up uh, out of time. You know, Harmony has been a fantastic guest. Um, harmony, where can um, people find your work on the internet? I'm all over the place. But if you want to find all of that consolidated in a nice, easy, digestible place, that's Twitter for me. I'm on there at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. That's Excellent. where I post about all the stuff. This ends at prom does various writings. I just wrote about Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island and why it's one of the best horror movies of the 90s recently. So for all of the people that are feeling nostalgic for more good stuff from the 90s, that's on there too. Excellent. I, I, think, I think we need to have Harmony listen to our, uh, our McKill episodes. Oh, and, interesting. And critique our, our uh, fictional horror movies that we've come up with <laughs> the last few Halloweens. Yeah, and so um, for those who may not be uh, as familiar, um, so every year we do a Halloween episode, and its origins are from the character McGill, who is you know 
the, the hawk who was tasked with, you know, taking Adam Banks out of the game. He's the, mm -hmm. you know, the bad there. And we uh, theorize that he essentially comes back as a Mike Myers type of character named McKill, you know, seeking vengeance <laughs> and, and trying to track down all the hawks. I think where we left off last year was that they, they went to outer space. Yeah, he was in space and it, it was like Jason a X kind of thing. Uh, the ice was splitting and we, we left it off in a click, cliffhanger. So we uh, <laughs> visit that in like five months. Yeah. So uh, listeners, uh, you can uh, have that to look forward to uh, for Halloween. Um, and uh, of course, for us, you can follow us on Twitter at Quack Attack Pod, Facebook.com slash Quack Attack Pod and join us on Discord. Just send us a message anywhere and we can get you that invite. Um, and of course, you can listen to us anywhere you find podcasts, including Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher. Give us five stars. Tell us your favorite obscure podcast to listen to. And let us know about some of your favorite, uh, I guess, comfort food movies of the 90s. And, um, of course, let's um, make sure to give a shout out to our producers who allow us to actually uh, run this podcast. Uh, executive producers, Elsie Barnett, Brian Berg, Alex Ibarra, Josh Lick, Bobby Lemaire, Rabbi Lex Rafferberg, Aaron Davis, Ed Semia, Alex Vallejos, and Joyce Eng. And our regular producers, Deborah Chen, Jeremiah Bershey, Adam Ferry, Jared Beasley, Lisa Wilbig, Anthony Geoffrey, Jeff Fantas, Matt Holtwick, Stevie Yanks, JD Youngblood, Chris Garland, and Sarah Mihalopoulos. And of course, you can become a producer. Just send us a note. We can get you more information. And of course, remember, ducks fly together. Ducks fly together. Fly, fly. Ain't no turning back. Got to be the man is The quack attack is back, Jack. Oh, yeah.